are you today? Everybody doing well? Sorry, I forgot to turn my microphone on this morning. I'll get us working and rolling. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We'll be in verse 19 today. Acts chapter 11. Uh, we will be in verse 19, and uh, we get to play on the board a little bit today. It's my favorite thing to do when church comes around. So glad that you're with us today. Um, we're, we're talking out of a few verses of Scripture um, because of of our transition from the idea that we're a part of just simply a bigger relationship to this reality that we're a part of a bigger family. Uh, that's one of the reasons that we're going to, to Turkey with a mission team uh, next week. It's part of the reason that we uh, have conversations like Pastor Omar said. And so we're going to be really leaning into that and looking at it today in first, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through verse 26. And at the very end of Acts chapter 19, excuse me, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we read something that's pretty powerful and life-defining. Look with me in your Bible at verse 26. Just the last sentence says this. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And this is a pretty uh, life-changing moment. Up until this point, there were a lot of ways that people were known. They just followers of Jesus, uh, people of the way. There were just a lot of just different things out there. And in Antioch, this name was given, and many think it was given um, for negative reasons, but it was given to the, the family uh, that clung to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And since then, here we are over 2,000 years later, and that name still sticks today. This is one of the most powerful moments in church history. And, and I want to talk about it because of the challenge that the Lord has put on, on my heart as I read this passage, as we looked through everything. Go back to verse 19 of chapter 11. This is where we're going to get started as we take this journey towards this name we carry with joy and pride as Christian. The Bible says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia uh, and, and, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, I want to put this in context a little bit. Um, the, the church is, is moved from being a nuisance to being persecuted. Not being persecuted because people said funny things about you on Facebook or Twitter. Not being persecuted because they were, didn't allow even people to go to the polls. Like real life persecution, Saul has not yet been transformed and, and by the power of the Spirit. So he is standing by it, cheering people on as they pick up stones and throw them at a deacon. Now some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound so bad still, stone and deacons. But, but but in reality, here's this man of God, Stephen, who all he does is love the Lord and he serves the Lord joyfully. And because of that, because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, he is killed for his faith. And this killing wasn't just like one isolated incident. This isn't just one news story. But in fact, it is something that starts this rippling effect and the killing of Christians persecuting of Christians starts to become a worldwide in the region this phenomenon so to speak it becomes approved of and in that guess what happens 
We, we can go to, to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says this. And they, there arose persecution on that day against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Here's the deal. Every Christian who was in Jerusalem, remember the thousands that have been saved, the thousands that have come to know Christ, this, this community has now scattered. And just a few are left in Jerusalem, and the rest have hit the road. And so as I read this chapter, I just started thinking, I started doing math, and, and I wanted to have you picture it with me because verse 19 was one of these life-changing verses for me. If you were to think about the idea of, of this, this would be, let's just say, Jerusalem as it comes into play here. It's Jerusalem as it comes in. And, and what it says is they scattered as far as Antioch, as far as Antioch. And this journey is about 300 miles so, so if you can imagine, this is how far the people have traveled. And I started to think, 300 miles doesn't sound like a whole lot. Except for, remember, there are no cars, trains, planes, automobiles. And so normally on a, on a traveling day, you're making it 24 miles, right? In other words, you, you, if you started off walking today at that pace, like you wouldn't make it to the woodlands, in a day, if you're kind of thinking through how that worked. So I started to put in a picture, what would it look like for the church to be scattered that far today? And so here's what I did. I chose not to draw Texas because you would make fun of me. But here's what I chose to do instead. We're, we're somewhere over here. I'll let you guys who are really articulate about stuff point out. But this is, this is our home of Pearland, right? And if you live in the area, that's why I drew my, my color big enough. You're, you're included in that as well. But if you can imagine this, in Texas, we have this thing called the Texas Triangle. Now you know how good I am. Texas Triangle. And, and it's Dallas, it's Houston, it's San Antonio, and then they include Austin just because the capital's there. We won't talk about that. College Station's right in here if you were wondering, right? But, but in the middle of that, this is the Texas Triangle. In the Texas Triangle, 70% of the population of this state lives. All right, the population of Texas is about 30 million people. So doing bad math, about 21 million people live within 300 miles of Pearland, Texas. 21 million people. So, so as the people go out, as they're looking at what's going on, the Bible says that they scattered all over, all over this area, and in this area, can you imagine the 400 of us leaving this place, 21 million people, eight hours or eight, day, eight days at a time, all of a sudden, this happens of us. It says, they left that area and they spoke the word. That's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus Christ. Look in your Bible at verse 19. Who did they speak the word to? The Jews. In fact, my Bible has some clarifiers on the front end of that. No one except the Jews. Now, I want you to process this. What this looks like in our picture, in our point of view, when we come from Pearland, Texas, it would mean that the 500 or so of us in Pearland, Texas, we, we scatter out because of persecution or let's make it a good cause. And we cover each of us about 24 miles a day. Now, 24 miles a day is like sweet tea 
you know, front porch sipping pace, right? If I were to tell you you're driving to Dallas and it's going to take you a 10, 10 days to get there, some of you are like, it better be a threat of death. Have you met my children, right? It's, it's going to be hard on you. But 10 days, we, we can cover a lot of ground, can't we? Even just, even just the people in this room, in 10 days, we could cover this up. But if you said, here's the deal, as you go, I only want you to share Jesus who have the same backstory as you. So, so what I mean is they need to be about the same culture. They need to be from the same area. And listen, just because you're American is not the same. I'm from South Alabama. I have friends here from Chicago. They might as well be different countries. Amen? You following us? So, so in this, imagine that you, you only were to share the gospel with people who spoke the same language as you, people who looked the same as you, people from the same geographic region as you, see people who followed the same traditions as you, and people, most importantly, who wash their dishes the same way you do. I just wanted you to chew on that for a minute because that's what Acts chapter 11 verse 19 says. The church was scattered. Now, now here's what I know in this portion, and I did my best to try and st- try to find statistics. It's not working well. But what I can figure out is when I started saying who looks exactly like David Adams, about 39% of, of this, uh, of, of Texas is Anglo background, but that's not good enough because I'm a Christian, so that's kind of my background. I'm also um, a Southerner. I'm a true from the South. I was born in Alabama, came here by way of that. I'm from the South, so I have a different tradition in that. Um, But if you look at my heritage as well, um, I'm like Heinz 57, quite honestly. So you kind of need to be a mutt for me to talk to you from your family heritage, that kind of thing. Out of this 39% of the 70% that lives in here, I probably have a semi-strong enough cultural connection with about 15%. So I was just trying to do the math. No one gives me good statistics about this stuff. But I started to think, that, that would mean this. Out of 100 people in this room, I'm only going to tell 15 out of every 100. So that means if there's 400 people in here, that means I'm only talking to... 60 people today the the rest of you 340 god bless you i hope your chances look great does this feel like a miss to you this feels like a miss to me it it feels like a miss in fact what's interesting is as we look in this passage we have to look at the the big picture of what god has said and what god has done is all these people tens of thousands scattered out 300 miles huge area your mental picture is on and they're not talking to anybody who doesn't have the same cultural background as them verse 20 but but verse 20 But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed who turned to the Lord. This is pretty amazing. What verse 20 really leans into us is that there's a small group of people that that when they made it to Dallas— If you want to be really technical, you would say Weatherford, right? If you know where that is. That's our 300-mile marker. But made it to Dallas. They said, forget this. 
we aren't telling enough people about Jesus. And so they go to these Greeks from a different background, a different culture, man, a, a, a vile heritage and morality. And they say, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. And in the midst of that, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It's kind of unthinkable that they did this. All this is going on in conjunction. If you look at the passages before that, we start to see Philip is going to the Samaritans. Peter is having his vision. The Lord is reprimanding his church a little bit. He's straightening out some stuff a little bit. And so he takes it out, and these people do this unthinkable. They take Acts chapter 1, verse 8, seriously, literally. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus appears, resurrected Christ to the disciples, and this is what he says to them. He says, excuse me, and there wrote, excuse me, I was going to go read you the same verse again in chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Up until this point, most Jews, most Christians, took this as, I will carry the gospel to Jews all over the earth. That's what, it, that's what it looked like. It would be like us saying, we want to reach every American for the gospel, no matter where they are in the world. And, and we're not thinking of anybody else. But this group, this group of men, this unnamed group of people, they do the unthinkable. They take Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the command of Jesus, not simply territorially, not simply geog ge geographically, they think he's talking about people. They dare to believe that the gospel is meant and to be made available to everyone on the face of the earth, no matter who they come in contact with, no matter where they're want done. And this is what they do. They, they do something that's pretty, pretty wild. Go back to verse 20 in Acts chapter 11. You may not catch this because we're used to it. But go back to verse 20. It says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, upon who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists and also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, this is a specific change we have to note because among the Jews, when you would tell a Jewish person about Jesus, you would say, the Lord Jesus Christ you would say the Messiah. Because to a Jew who understands all the backstory, all the lingo, all the inside jokes, all the handshakes, all the backstory, when you said Messiah, everything they knew came to the front of their brain. And they would put two and two together. But when you came to a Hellenist, someone who didn't share the background, who didn't know the language, who, didn't, who wasn't from where they were from, who didn't know the inside handshakes, who, who actually didn't get raised with any of that, they didn't use Jesus as Messiah as the front door. They said Jesus is Lord. And Lord means master. It means in charge of all. It was a familiar thought. It was a familiar word to say that Jesus is actually in charge of all. He is the master of all. He is in front of all. And I started to think, what an interesting thing today 
and we'll find this is one of the most divisive things in church history, like literally. Because at this point in time, the disciples said, instead of educating you on Jewish culture, I want to introduce you to the Lord Jesus first. I want you to know that God's son has come to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for sins that you will die for, but you could not save yourself from. And in his death on the cross, he defeated hell and the grave. He broke the power of sin. And God, his Father, raised him to life. And the promise of Scripture is, is that all who believe in him will be raised to life with him. And he's calling you to follow him and abandon every other God. Jesus is Lord. The absence of Messiah doesn't devalue the reality of the historic truth it just says I want you to know him as Lord and then I'll teach you all about him but somewhere along the way even in our American culture we feel like there's a, a way that we must fix ourselves before coming to Jesus it, we, we, must, we must know some things before we come to him in other words we have to do some work so that he can work and then we can work what scripture says is he works and then he invites you to work with him. And that work that you do is following him. That's the work. That's what scripture tells us. And so in this backdrop, I started to ask the question, I wonder why Jewish Christians would have been so irate at this reality. Was it okay? Was it okay that they preached the gospel? to people who weren't Jews. I, I think if they were looking back to Jesus' actions, he was sent to the people of Israel first. And so somewhere, all these truths got twisted. So I started to find myself and said, Lord, what does your word say? And, and John, one of the apostles, wrote about this. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. He sees a vision of what life will be like before the Lord. He says this. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, from all languages, standing before the throne of the, Lord, the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I just wrote in my journal that eternity would proclaim yes. Eternity would proclaim that you and I paying attention and knowing that 100% of every person within our reach is needing and the Lord wants the gospel available to them regardless of where they've been and what they've done regardless of who they are or how difficult it is the charge of Christ is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth that it would saturate it all. This is interesting. If you go back and look at verse 21, I think there's another affirmation with there. In verse 21, it says this, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. If the Lord would not have approved of their taking the gospel outside of their comfort zone, 
then his hand would not be upon them. If the Lord would not have approved, then God wouldn't have done a change in their life. And this is what I love in verse 21. It says this, And a great number believed, turned to the Lord. In other words, they started following him. Believe first, teach second. That's how we make disciples. Take the gospel, baptize them, teach them to obey all that I have told you. In the midst of this, we start to see that you and I have a command from the Lord to take the gospel to everyone we can. And, and this caused a huge stir. Even though it was good, it caused a huge stir. Look in your Bible at verse 22 and verse 24. Verse 22 and verse 24 says this. The report of this came by the ears of the church to Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. All right? So listen to this word about Barnabas. Listen to this word. The church doesn't know what's going on, so the, the rumors of it make it 300 miles back to Jerusalem. They make it back to Jerusalem. And here's what they do. They send Barnabas. And, and Barnabas being sent is the most incredible person because if you, we see his reputation in verse 24. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. In other words, they said, listen, we've got a divisive issue on our hand. Here's the question, church, they're asking. Do you, if you are not a follower or not a Jewish person, do you have to convert to Judaism in order to convert to Christianity? Do you have to follow the traditions and the laws of Judaism in order to be a Christian? This is a huge question mark. And in fact, it was the practice and the teaching of almost everybody at that day. And it's such a divisive thing. We'll see. It's what gets Paul in trouble later on. We'll find out that it's what tears things apart in the midst of this. So what does the church do? They say, Barnabas, you are a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Would you go and see what's going on to know if the Lord is in this? You had to send the right person. Because I, I think we could fall into a trap of what the woman at the well did in John chapter 4. The Bible tells us that in John chapter 4 that Jesus is witnessing to the woman at the well. Do you remember this story? And this woman at the well, he's saying, give me a drink. And they're going back and forth. And she says, your people say to worship God on that mountain. Our, our people say to worship God on this mountain. Who is right? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Church, they needed to send someone who wouldn't confuse the special with the sacred. They needed someone who wasn't confused. What's special? The mountain that she was referring to was a special mountain that God did great things on, but it wasn't sacred. And Barnabas going in had to have this in mind, this in his heart, as he went in, being a man of faith, to see what's going on on a de decisive issue that could tear the church apart. He had to know the difference between the special and the sacred. And so it mattered that he was respected. It mattered that he was godly. And all this sets up Barnabas' response. Look with me at verse 23, verse 25, and verse 26. 
And when he, this is Barnabas, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for the whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The first thing that Barnabas did was he confirmed that the Lord is working in this. The faithfulness of God's people is blessed by the Lord. But he didn't leave it there. He didn't just say, make up your own way. Look at what he encourages them to do in verse 23. It says, he encouraged them, exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. I started to think about what it would look like to be faithful to the Lord. To be faithful means to remain in his presence. In other words, he says, you remain in the presence of God. You don't just ask Jesus and stack him in to all these other gods you've been following. You remain steadfast, constantly faithful in the presence of God, following after him, following his life, following the teachings of Christ. You run hard after the Lord through the testimony of Jesus Christ. We would call that embracing the word. But then he also says this, not just remain stay faithful, but with steadfast purpose. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know that when we follow God with steadfast purpose, he places his promises on our heart? And God's saying, that new heart I've created in you, you stay steadfast in those things. You don't abandon the heart I have given you, the life I have given you. You follow hard after Christ, and therefore then you follow the passions of Christ. No longer the passions of the world, your culture, your friends, or anyone else. Your heart belongs to him, and don't ever let it move. And Barnabas sees what's going on in verse 25 and verse 26, and he says this, I want to be the part of this church. In fact, he goes and he gets Paul. Paul would know more about teaching them about the backstory of the Messiah than anyone else. He was a Pharisee. And for a year, they set up camp and said, we are committed not to just converting people to Christianity, but making disciples of Christ Jesus. Churches, I went through that whole story I started to think that same need is in the church today. I told many of you this story before, but in 2017, <clears throat> the church gives me a study break every year. And on this particular study break, I had the ability to go stay some in Virginia and, and watch, uh, just look at some historical things. And, and, and the most powerful thing happened, not uh, at Thomas Jefferson's home or in Washington, D.C. or any of those places. It was on my drive from Monticello towards Washington, D.C. If you've never driven that, it's the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's gorgeous. And as I was driving down the road, <clears throat> looking at the view, I see a house, and I'm thinking, you win. Right? When I wake up in the morning, I see the six-foot-tall pine fence behind me. Amen? Like, that's my view. If you have a two-story house with a balcony, 
lucky you. You get to look at your neighbor's backyard. Like in Houston, we don't have this, right? I'm driving through, and this house is built over this valley, and it has the most incredible view. I can only imagine what it would be like to wake up every morning with a cup of coffee in my Bible and to meet Jesus there. And within half a second, I lost the view. A hedge. That's the way southern people build a fence. Like, oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to put a fence up. We'll just have this hedge with a lot of thorns and thistles on it for you, you know. This hedge taller than my car no longer allows me to see what they enjoy. And I'm sure that they did it not to be ugly. I'm sure they did it so their kids could play in the front yard and be safe. I'm sure they did it for their privacy so that when they had people there, they were good. But unintentionally, the things they did for the benefit of their family, that everyone in their family could tell you exactly why they're the most loving people in the world. They could have been deacons or a pastor of the church. Who knows? But what they did for the delight of their family kept everyone who would ever pass by from seeing why they picked that spot. And I thought immediately, and when I got to my hotel, I wrote it down, Lord, I don't want our church to be that house. I don't want to be a body of believers that gets so caught up with what's going on in here and making sure that everybody is good in here that the community around us drives by and no longer sees Jesus and the joy that God is doing in this people and in this place. It, it, I started to, to do math and, and things changed since I wrote it down so I'll tell you now um, the, the Lord put this on our hearts of our leaders for a long time in Pearland there's over 100,000 people from over 60 different cultural backgrounds over 60 languages spoken in, in Pearland and that's not, the, that's not just like the difference between southern you know, and, and, and I don't even know where else exists in the states other than southern, quite honestly, right? Northern, Midwestern, 60 different, 100,000 people over 60 countries. And God scatters us out daily, daily right here. That's just in Pearland. That doesn't include Manville, South Houston, Clear Lake, League City, Friendswood, Webster, Alvin, Rose Sharon. If I miss the town that you're from, I apologize. I did my best. God has scattered us all over this place. Why? So that we could do what the people of God did. That we take the word and the joy of Jesus Christ and we share it with those around us so they may know Jesus as Lord and that we might be faithful to teach them to follow hard after him. It's not just asking a question. It's laying it down. One writer I read this week said this way, the church grows as the power of the Holy Spirit impels believers to teach the word, make disciples, witness to the gospel beyond their boundaries, and selfishly aim at the needs of other communities. That's what God has called us to be. So we, individually, you, you have to stay committed. You will not follow the ways of Jesus if your heart is not saturated in the hope and the love of the Lord. That's why the days when you don't read your Bible, 
you're a different person in the days when you have time in prayer with the Lord and you're around a bunch of believers that exalt the name of Jesus. Because when you are saturated by the word, you stand firm. We can't be unfaithful to the word. Listen, church, no matter what it takes, if you and I abandon the, the truth of Jesus Christ, if we water it down, if we make it easy, if we add to it or take away from it, Jesus tells us what that is. That is the blind leading the blind. And what our Messiah says is that you will lead people into a ditch. In fact, he says it way stronger than that. We have to remain faithful to the word. That can never happen. But each of us, God has placed this plan in our hearts in this community. We call that impacting your circles. My question is this. Do you believe the testimony of the gospel? Do you believe that Barnabas says the Lord is with it? Do you believe the Spirit inspired Luke to, sh to articulate this one story where the church is renamed and life is changed? Each of us have to be faithful to the Lord. We have to look for the fruit the Lord is bearing. If you're living your life and there's no fruit on the trees, that is not the will of God. The words of our Lord say, it is his will that you bear how much fruit, if you know it. Much, much. And as a Southerner, you with me? Much is a lot. Have you eaten at Kelly's? God desires that you bear a ton of fruit. So the question is, what are the purposes of God from his word, not against his word, that he has put on your heart? That's what you must chase that's what you must be faithful to as a church i started asking this question to our leaders in 2017 in 2018 the lord had brought us all on the same page but we had committed it to a time of prayer because i started telling our deacons out of the conversations that i have the world is ignorant about a lot of things but there are some assumptions that we make that the world understands that they do not understand and I'm afraid it's blocking the view of people seeing Jesus Christ through this church, through our family. And as we committed it to prayer, I started to think of Barnabas. He was a good witness, like our staff, our deacons, and our leaders. As we committed it to prayer and conversation, how do we make disciples of all nations? Something very difficult was raised, something that we thought would be divisive, so we started to pray about it thought the name tag on the front of this church blocks the view of a lot of people who don't have the same backstory as our leaders. Not the, not the doctrine, not the faith, not the associations, but the name tag is different. We started sharing stories of people who were asking questions that I thought were the silliest questions in the world. But when I step back from my background, if you don't know my backstory, um, my granddaddy went to a Baptist church and raised my mom in a Baptist church. Um, when he didn't like the pastor, he held back the tithe until the pastor left and put it all in. That's real Baptist. Not biblical. But he loved the Lord. He loved his church. 
he raised my mom in that church and my mom made sure that we were in church every day that we could be in church when I was 10 years old we were in Panama City Florida in Panama City Florida we went to First Baptist Church of Panama City I went to a, a camp there and that day I fell in love with the word so when we moved to Texas a few months later I proudly declared to our family that we only visit Baptist churches at 10 I had no idea what that means except the people there were really nice but as I started looking the word I understood the doctrine as I grew in faith I started to understand what it meant to be faithful to the word what it meant to be cooperative with other people my education was so steep when the Lord called me to preach the word of God I thought I want to cooperate with people who share this view of scripture because it doesn't allow me to redefine it it redefines me and as we went around our deacon body as we talked to our staff we started to have this same conversation the name tag of our church wasn't a hurdle to getting me here but all of us could name many people who we had to educate on traditions before we could tell them about the lordship of Jesus Christ And so in the midst of that, our deacons and our staff are asking you individually to also consider us as a church corporately. We want you to stay steadfast to the Lord and to the heart he put on his plan to stay faithful. And we believe as a church, if we can do that, then we will be a glory and he will bless our, our fellowship. But here's what we want to do. If you're a member of our church family, you're going to be getting a letter this afternoon and throughout the next month. And we're going to start calling you to pray and to fast to see if the name tag that we chose that means so much to our history is not the best front door for people to see Jesus that we know and we worship. This isn't a change of relationships, it's not a change of doctrine. But it's just saying, Lord, if we need to mow down a man-planted hedge for good reasons so that we can be scattered into our community so that they can know Jesus Christ as Lord, then so be it. Church, I can't imagine what it was like for the Jews who were only sharing the gospel with other Jews to hear the news that someone dare shared the gospel with a non-Jew without making sure they converted first. As we talked and prayed about this as a staff and as deacons, a, a corporate conversation is a big deal. And I'm asking you to join us in that. But here's what I want you to know. What's more important than the corporate conversation is what? your conversation when you walk out into our community what does it look to remain steadfast in the word and with the passions of the heart of Jesus Christ what does it mean to be what we would call people of the book of the word 
how do you follow so hard after Jesus that you're not only not afraid of sharing the gospel, you can't wait to share the gospel so that you can help them grow in knowledge and favor with the Lord. And someone told me this morning, our country's falling apart. Listen, there is no peace from anything in this world but Jesus Christ. And we cannot just lob gospel bombs into our community and hope when it blows up that it will push someone into some church somewhere. When you speak the gospel, you are taking a a stand with Jesus Christ saying, I will love you enough not just to tell you about Jesus, but to walk with you so that you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ too. Because a gospel bomb will not make disciples. It will make people who think they belong to Jesus twice as much a son of hell as the person who would throw the bomb, so to speak. Jesus came and he stayed. Barnabas and Saul came and they stayed. Church, are you talking about Jesus where the Lord has scattered you? And are you talking in such a way to where you will tell people, I will walk with you as you learn about this Savior? That's where it begins. That's where fruit is born. That's the invitation today. Would you pray with me? Father God, there's a lot going on over the past five years as we have prayed, God. Lord, we want to be completely aligned with you. Lord, we don't want to be a church where there's a few pieces of fruit born. Lord, we want to bear much fruit as a church. So much so that we're willing to take a look at anything that is not your word, that is not the truth of your son. Father God, let it start in our hearts. Let it start right here. Lord, if there's any man, woman, or child in this room that does not know who Jesus is, Lord, I pray that the testimony of this passage would would reveal it to them. Lord, that they may understand that Jesus isn't asking them for nothing, that he's asking them for everything. And his promise in return is a harvest bigger than anything they've ever dreamt. Father God, I pray as a church individually, if our lips have been sealed, if we have held on to the special or confused it with the sacred, if fear or anxiety has has moved our feet or caused us to stand still, Lord, would you let us re-up right here, right now, not to just teach the gospel to the children of our children and our friends' children, but to carry it out so that your kingdom would grow. Father, we pray this to the glory and the power and in the name of Jesus, our Lord.